There is a single event in all of history that separates Christianity from all other world systems of belief. There is a singular moment in time, a defining moment in reality, where whether what side of the stone you're on depends if you'll share eternal life in heaven or not. You see, there has to be a reason Jesus rose again from the grave. It's more than just an Easter bunny, and it's more than maybe some new duds that you, that you go out and buy just, you know, for this day. Man, there's more to it than that. Because the point of it all is that Jesus confronts us with that most critical issue in all of history. And that is, do you believe that Jesus rose from the grave? You see, if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, I'll read the text for you. It is the single most defining moment of life. Matthew writes in his account, he says, after the Sabbath, verse 1, Matthew 28, after the Sabbath, the dawn of the first day of the week, for the Jew, the Sabbath was a Saturday, and the first day of the week was a Sunday. Mary Magdalene, she was a prostitute, and the other Mary, probably Mary and Salome, went to look at the tomb. The burial was incomplete. They took their ointment and spikenard and fragrances and, and, and other gauze and, and wrappings to finish the burial process of Jesus. They went to the tomb fully expecting Jesus to be in the tomb. Matter of fact, one of the discussions we find as they're going to the tomb is they're trying to debate who's going to move the stone away from us. This stone is like a ton, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, but it's something that several men could move, but certainly not a couple of ladies. So they're making their way to the tomb. Their heart is broken. I mean, everything that they had kind of put their, their hope and their faith in, man, had just, they had just watched it die. Saturday had been the longest aching day their heart had ever known. And then they come on the first day of the week to do what is just right and proper according to their custom. It would be kind of like the viewing and the internment in our day. There was a violent earthquake. For the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. Have you ever wondered why a stone There were other ways to bury people in Jesus' day. In the ground, even though it wasn't quite as common, they they buried some in the ground. They had uh, fields for the poor where if they couldn't have a tomb, they just kind of put them in a, you know, kind of a common grave and and, and markers and and kind of a mausoleum kind of thing was also kind of, have you ever thought about why why a stone? Uh, Honestly, there were other ways and other places to bury a guy. You got to understand there were, there were Roman soldiers that Pilate had set outside that stone, but that stone stood as a symbol so that everybody who walked by knew it's final. They're dead. It's over. It's done. There is no second chance. There's no overtime. There's no extra innings. That life is done. Maybe snuffed out early. Maybe they lived to a ripe old age. Doesn't matter. On the other side of that stone, death has spoken. They're done. 
See, the stone was symbolic of that culture of finality. It was the last line. It's kind of like the gravesite for us. Put you down, and sometimes families watch and them scoop the dirt back over the casket or the vaulted casket. They'll grow and take a flower or put a flower in the hole before it's refilled, and they walk away. The stone was the final walk away. I mean, I mean, it was the final place where death had the last word. But you see, there are places in life, there are many times in this world where what we think has the last word doesn't really have the last word. Keep reading the text. He says this. The guards were so afraid of the angel that they shook and became like dead men. Oh, by the way, I would too, and I think I'm an all right guy. I think I've got a pretty good little connection with God going on. But I'm telling you, if an angel floats down in this service, I'm out of here. You're on your own. I'd be scared too. I don't fault them for that. Then the angel said to the women, the greatest news you'll ever hear in your lifetime He's not there. He said, don't be afraid. For I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not there, for he is risen. And they saw the stone that was supposed to have the final say. Now all of a sudden rolled away, most likely lying flat on the ground, not in its upright position. You see, the stone rolled away was Jesus' statement that even though death may have some power in this life, in this world, and in time and space, I have ultimate power, and I am victorious over death, hell, and the grave. See, this morning, I kind of want to talk to you about why Jesus rolled the stone away and came out of the tomb. Why do you believe Or do you believe that this single event that separates all other world religions apart from our faith? Where do you stand on this one question? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the grave? Do you believe? Now in our courts, we have different levels in our court systems. We have different levels of, of belief. For some kind of trial cases, all it needs is a 50% vote to win the case. The most serious of criminal cases required belief beyond the shadow of a doubt. And sometimes we church folk talk about believing in Jesus and receiving him as our Savior. And we use a lot of Christianese talk. You know what Christianese is, don't you? It's the language church folks use because we've been in church for 114,000 years. So kind of want to take the Christianese out of it. I just kind of want to drop it down into everyday plain language and just kind of make it simple for us to understand why Jesus walked out of the tomb. And here it is. I want you to understand Jesus walked out of the tomb so he can walk into your heart. The bottom line of Easter. Yes, he wants to display his power and his sovereignty over death. Yes, he wants to display his power and sovereignty over Satan. Yes, he wants to show you that sin can be defeated. But the good news of the gospel this morning is that Jesus walked out of the grave so he can walk into your heart. The question is, how do you do that? 
How does Jesus walk into your heart? How do you receive Christ into your heart? Because I'm telling you, that demands a serious high level of belief in Jesus Christ. See, belief is more than just an intellectual assent. James chapter 2 and verse 19 says that the devil, uh, you, you believe there's one God, good, but the demons believe and they shudder. So I want you to understand, the devil has no doubt who Jesus is. He understands that Jesus is the holy son of God Almighty, the Messiah of the Jews, the Savior of the world, that he came into this life, lived a sinless life, died on the cross, so that on the cross he would pay for every sin you've ever committed, past, present, and future, then took those sins to a holy God, and God pronounced your debt for all the stuff you have messed up in life, paid in full, then they buried Jesus, and the devil thought that that was it. Man, the devil's got intellectual assent, but it just takes more than being a smart guy. See, they believe the demons do with all the assurance and without any reservation. They believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and he did what he said he would do. And to let Jesus walk out, of, walk out of the tomb and into your life involves more than being convinced of the truthfulness of something. So there's that intellectual acknowledgement that, that it's more than for Jesus. And for Jesus to walk into your heart, it's more than that emotional, warm, fuzzy. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Folks in our church are waving their hands and, and folks are clapping and some of you are going, dude, they didn't done that. This ain't like church when I went to church. That's all right. See, we believe that if Jesus is alive in our heart, that it is something to rejoice over, celebrate in, and it is something to, as we just sang, let the whole world know. Because he lives. But see, we don't want you just to come to church and like the singing and get this little warm fuzzy. You know what the little warm fuzzy is? A little feel-good thing? That's not what... There's more to Jesus walking into your heart than that. And then, by the way, there's also religious rituals. For Jesus to walk in your heart, it's not related to religious rituals. And all churches and denominations and movements have their own little customs and traditions. One that we have in our church is, is we just have an open altar. That means that anytime God speaks to you, we just, you know, just respond and come to the altar. And many times, and not every Sunday, but many times we'll invite you if you want to accept Jesus Christ into your heart, if you want to receive him, if you believe that he walked out of the tomb and you're ready for him to walk into your life, we'll invite you to come forward and somebody may help pray with you or, or help lead you in the sinner's prayer. And, and there's just different kind of, of religious rituals. But I want you to know rituals will not take you to heaven. Rituals do not bring Jesus Christ into your heart. So what does? If he rose from the tomb to walk, or if he walked out of the tomb to walk in our heart, how does he walk into our heart? There's three things I just kind of wanted to throw at you just under the umbrella of him walking into our heart. And the first one, oh my goodness, the first one is that you have to surrender. You just have to surrender. He, Jesus, when he walked out of the tomb, did his part. He died on the cross to, to settle the sin debt that we owe, the wrong stuff that we did. And now for him to walk out of the tomb and into our heart demands that you and I surrender to him. Listen to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. 
It says, if you confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart that you believe you are justified, and in your mouth you confess and save, that's Paul's way of saying, just surrender. If you'll go back one slide there, Dottie, if you'll just put it back up for a second, I'm just going to hang there real quick. If you confess with your mouth, that is simply saying, God, I agree with you about who you are and what you say you are, and God, I also agree with you about what I am and what you say I am. I surrender. I'm not fighting against you anymore. Surrender. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Washington, D.C., and up in Arlington, Virginia, or Arlington Cemetery, if you see it, they, they have the, uh, uh, the home of Robert E. Lee and a lot of imagery and, and pictures that go back to the Civil War with the surrender of the South to the North. That's the idea of surrender. It, actually, if you want to kind of put it in, the, in our terminology, it's like changing pilots on a plane. Man, the pilot is in absolute control of the plane. Man, he knows the buses, the puts. He, he knows how to make the flaps do the right thing so the airfoil on the top gives it lift and aerodynamics and the principles and the law apply. I'm just glad it works. I don't understand how a plane flies. I just like flying in them, amen? Surrender is when Jesus walks into your heart and you give the controls of your life over to him. For Jesus to walk into your heart, there has to be a foundational element of surrender. At Jesus, apart, apart from you, man, I'm just going to keep messing my life up. And so I surrender to your will. I surrender to your way of living. I surrender and I confess my sins because I'm sorry for the sins that I did that caused you to die on the cross. So you see, if you want Jesus to walk in your heart, you've got to have this aspect of surrender. But you've also got to have this aspect of repentance. You don't hear much about this anymore, do you? Repentance. The Bible's clear where there, there is no forgiveness of sin without repentance. Telling God we're sorry for what we've done, that's part of it. But then you also turn. Here's what repentance is. You're going this way. God, I'm sorry for the wrong that I've done, the sins I've committed. And you repent. You quit doing them. And you turn from your sins. But it's not just a turning from sin. It is a going to Jesus. It is a turning from sin. And it is a going to Jesus. I'm not talking about a New Year's resolution where you turn over a new leaf and maybe you say, well, I want to stop smoking or drinking or whatever vice it is you want to give up and you just kind of turn from that. No. I'm talking about letting Jesus walk out of the tomb and into your heart and you run and you surrender to him and you embrace all that he wants to do in your life and you repent. You repent of every sin. Telling God you're sorry, confessing with your mouth. We read that just a second ago. Romans chapter 10. You repent. You turn from sin. I know what some people say. say. Well, you know, I'd believe in Jesus if I could just keep doing what I want to do. You know, you've missed the whole deal. When you give your heart to Jesus, it's no longer what you want to do. It's what God wants to do through you. What you want to do will always leave you empty, unsatisfied, and unfulfilled. When you do what Christ wants you to do, man, in that road, on that road, you will find satisfaction, joy, peace, and contentment, and ultimate fulfillment in life. 
So when we talk about Jesus walking out of the tomb and into your heart and you receiving Christ as your Savior, there's this, there's this concept of surrender. There's this concept of repentance, but there's also the issue of faith. There's also the issue of faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. Through faith. This kind of faith is putting everything you believe Several years ago, we went to, um, not Washington, D.C., we went to Niagara Falls. And I'm sure everybody's taking the same little tours that we have. And, and they would talk about these high wire artists that, that would string this steel cable from one side, the Canadian side, to the U.S. side over either the Horseshoe Falls or maybe a little down farther in the, in the chain of the falls. And the high rope, tight rope, anyway, the guys who don't have sense would walk on that thing with a pole in her hand. And then there was one tightrope walker. He was telling her, I'm going to do it right here. I'm going to kill myself, but he was just doing it right here. And there was one guy who was so good, he stood on the sidelines and said, am I the greatest in the world? And went, oh, you're the greatest, you're the greatest. Am I the greatest that ever was? And he walked over and everybody's breathing. You know how they do. They do that like they're going to fall and they don't really fall. They just act like they're going to fall. Hey, am I the greatest? And went, oh, you're the greatest. And he comes back over and he puts a wheelbarrow. He took the tire off the wheelbarrow so it's just the rim. Put the rim on the wire and said, am I the greatest? And he said, everybody's going, oh, you are the greatest ever. We believe in you. Who wants to sit in my wheelbarrow? crowd started going, hey, ain't that great, you know? <laughs> ain't all that much here, buddy. You see, this kind of faith is saying, Jesus, you are so great. I'm in the wheelbarrow. I mean, on the tightrope of life, you are so great. You will not let me down. You will take care of me. You will watch over me. You have the best in store for me. Faith says, I'll get in the wheelbarrow. And really, when you put those three things together, surrender, repentance, and faith, that's really what we're talking about when we say receive Jesus Christ into your heart. And we just kind of all lump it in together. The Holy Spirit speaks into your heart. See, the fact of the matter is, this morning I can give you perfectly logical arguments and reasons for the existence of God, the reality of Jesus Christ, the fact of Jesus' death, the fact of his burial, and the overwhelming evidence of his resurrection. But the greatest truth for the, change, for the life change that true faith in Jesus Christ makes is the change that he's made in about 600 or 650 people that will gather here today to worship him as Savior and Lord. For I could go just about up every aisle. And even though there's this logical debater lawyer side of me that wants to say, hey, listen, man, I can give you the logical argument. I can give you the apologetics. I can give you the biblical theology. I can give you the systematics. I can give you a, a linear way of thinking so that you will come to the logical conclusion that Christ is who he says he is and that he died on the cross and he rose again just like he said so he could walk out of the tomb and into your heart. But what you really need to understand today is that on every row... 
in every aisle or down every aisle in every row. Just where everybody's sitting. I could point out people who were alcoholics until Jesus came in their life and their lives are changed. Just about on every row, I could point out to a marriage and say, you know, their home was in trouble until Jesus came into their home. I can take you to, to families almost on every row who had issues with their sons or their daughters or, or all together. And their home was just kind of a, you know, just this keg of dynamite ready to explode. But the love of God came in because the power of Jesus Christ so filled their home. He walked out of the tomb and into that home and radically changed their life. And they're here today as families, as couples, whole, complete people in Jesus Christ, enjoying the best that God has for them. And there's people all over. Remember in the video where they said it was 1982? It was 19-something. Dude, we could go up and down the rows and everybody would go, oh, it's night for me. It was 1963. I'm a young kid. It was 1960, or 1963, 1967. For others, it would be 1980s or in the 90s or 2000s. For some of you, it would be a couple of months ago that you surrendered your heart, you repented of your sin, you embraced faith in Jesus Christ, and wow, what a change he has made in your heart and in your life. See, the best example I could give of the power of God today is that Jesus Christ came and walked out of the tomb so he could live in your heart. I can give you book, chapter, and verse about the greatness of God, the love of Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit. But what you really need to know is that when Jesus walked out of the tomb, he demonstrated ultimate power over everything that weighs you down and holds you back. He had demonstrated ultimate power over death. And if he has power over death, certainly he has power over the addictions that bind you. He has over the power over the problems that enslave you. He has power over everything in life that you will struggle with or fight against. Jesus has authority over it. And when you let him walk out of the tomb and into your heart, I'm telling you, he will make a difference in your life. Just ask somebody sitting around you. They'll tell you it's true. But the point is, you've got to repent, surrender, and believe. See, Jesus walked out of the tomb so he could walk into your life. And everyone who's experienced the freedom of Jesus Christ and the freedom that he offers and the forgiveness that Christ gives in our heart, when they surrender to the will of Christ, they repent of their sins, express faith in Jesus Christ that their eternity is now based on, they have experienced the peace of God, the hope of God, and the power of God's spirit. Does that mean they're perfect people? <laughs> you say, is Kirby Church a perfect church? Absolutely not. If they were, I wouldn't have a job. But what it does mean is that the tomb is empty and my heart, it is so full because my heart is not full with the things of this world that doesn't satisfy. It is filled with Jesus, something that gives significance, purpose, meaning, and ultimate satisfaction in life. 
Jesus Christ walked out of the tomb so he could walk into your heart. The question this morning for you is, will you receive him into your heart? Will you surrender? Will you repent? Will you express faith in him? So that your heart would be full of all of the wonderful things that God has in store for you. Because he walked out of the tomb. And the good news of Easter is, he wants to walk into your life today. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? This is, if you've not been to Kirby, this is where we give you an opportunity to respond excuse me, to the message that you've just heard. And if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, right there where you sit, man, you can surrender, you can repent, and you can express faith in Christ. Right there where you sit, Jesus Christ can walk into your life. Right there where you sit, you can receive him into your heart. You say, how do you do that, Pastor? You pray a simple prayer. That's where it starts. And prayer is a simple conversation, a personal conversation with a personal God. And man, if you'll just pray this prayer, and here's the prayer, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. I receive you. Today, I want you to walk into my life. I surrender to you. I'm sorry for my sins. I believe in you. And would you just put an amen there and keep your heads bowed and eyes closed? Man, I want to pray for you. I really do. And the church wants to celebrate with you. But if you're here today and you prayed that prayer, wanting to receive Jesus in your heart, you prayed that prayer and he walked into your life. Man, right now where you sit, would you just raise your hand a little bit? I promise you I'm not going to embarrass you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Just raise your hand. Thank you so much. If you just prayed that prayer and asked Jesus into your heart, would you just raise your hand? Trust me enough to raise your hand. I won't embarrass you. Thank you. Anyone else? All church, the good news today is about five or six hands went up saying, hey, Jesus just walked into my life today, today. Would you stand with me, please, and let's pray together. Father, for those that just today received you into their heart, Lord, who ask you for forgiveness of sin, who express faith in you, who surrender to your leading and your will, Father, I pray. I just pray that you would bless them and use them. Lord, I pray that today is the first day of many great and wonderful days where they walk with you. So, Father, I pray that you bless them. Father, I pray that they continue to come back to the church and, and learn and grow and connect with others and let others encourage them and love on them as they grow in their faith. In Jesus Christ. And Father, on a day like today, I wish we had time to go around the room and let everyone who 
you have walked into their heart, stand and share a wonderful word about how you've changed their lives, what you have meant to them, and how great your love is. For certainly all of us have that to share. Sometimes we believers get a little off focus or out of focus and off center. And Father, if there's believers here today and their heart isn't right with you, Lord, maybe right now they just kind of pray a prayer of rededication, recommitting themselves to you, to love you, follow you, serve you. Lord, in your name, we ask and pray. And together, God's people say, amen. Thank you so much for coming today. Let me ask you to do a couple of things. If you're a guest with us today, or you prayed the prayer today and accepted Christ into your heart, on the way out, there's a desk or kiosk, a little information area right to your right. I'm going to try to be back there, and there'll be somebody at, back there. And, and we just got just a, a little gift for you, and it's a, it's a Bible and a, and a CD of a previous sermon and um, when life unravels back in January when I preached that. And there's just some other things that just kind of help get you going in your walk with Christ. And if you'll just go there, just tell them you just like the bag. They'll know what you're talking about. And then for, for everybody else, on the way out in the center table where all the flowers are, there are three little pamphlets. You can take one or all three that either explain why it was important for Christ to die or the reality of his resurrection. And it's just great stuff to have and to know and to live out in your heart. I am so glad you're here. Aren't you glad Jesus walked out of the tomb and he's walked into our lives? Amen. Aren't you glad that the tomb is empty and our hearts are full because Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's remain standing.